We're going to turn to God's Word. And let's see what he says to us back in the book of Proverbs. Not much for you to concentrate on today. One verse. But we're going to be looking all over Scripture, so you have to stay with me. Because what's the golden rule? Never one verse in isolation, right? If you want to go off on a tangent in life, then you go read one verse in isolation. You can do amazing things then. So we're going to look at what God says to us with this one verse. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. Proverbs 16, verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man and a woman, but its end is the way to death. I'm going to repeat that just from a different version. There is a path before each person that seems right. But it ends in death. So he's speaking about delusion here. Self-delusion. And in the terms of Proverbs, in the context of Proverbs, self-delusion is the rejection of divine wisdom. That's what the whole of the book of Proverbs is about. My son, go for the wisdom of God. Don't reject it, but walk in the wisdom that God has provided. Don't be deluded and walk away. So what is wisdom? Well, it's instructions from God. And as a male, um, you know, we're not so good with instructions, right? Come on, ladies. No? All right. Travel with your man somewhere and see. Do we know where we are? Yes, we do. Do we need to get the map out? No, we don't. I know where we are. You can see I've been there. But you know, it's very, very important that we have right thinking because right thinking leads to right actions and leads to good consequences. And the converse of that is true as well. Wrong thinking leads to wrong actions and leads to wrong consequences or not so good consequences. We saw this um, in Ethiopia. John and I went to Ethiopia and um, in all their wisdom they supplied us with a whole bunch of flat pack furniture that they wanted us to put together with the help of our fellow um, Ethiopians over there um, because there was a big conference on and they needed all this plush stuff up there. And so the flat pack stuff came and uh, when we opened the one box, no instructions. Now, my friend Dave knows me well. Um, with instructions, I'm quite hopeless. But without instructions, I'm really helpless. I had John there, though. He's an engineering type. And so we thought, okay, we'll do this. We recruited some of the local guys to help us there. And um, so we started on the first box. And very helpfully, um, they then decided to unpack the second box and the third box and the fourth box and open them all up. And the more we said, don't, just leave them separate. No, very soon someone was really helpful and they took all the cardboard away, all the plastic away, because they wanted to be helpful. And there we were with all these bits lying all over the grass. And the conference was starting the next day. Well, I'm sure John can remember the frustration in times, the incomplete furniture and the spare parts. I think some of those desks are still not put together properly. 
But that's because we didn't want the instructions. Or actually we did, but we didn't have them. But you see, without instructions, without wisdom from God, we also end up in difficulty, frustration. And so it's very important that we've got to work out, are we deceived in our thinking? Have we been deceived by outside influences to think incorrectly about life? Or have we been self-deceived in our thinking? What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says that my heart is deceitful. And when I speak about my heart, it's not that physical thing pumping away that John had trouble with this last week. Not that thing. It's the soul in me, my heart, the very essence around which my, my life goes. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, and we're going to read it in a minute, that it, my heart is deceitful and therefore I've got a sin-tainted imagination as well. So what does Jeremiah in the Old Testament say? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. This is what it says about my heart. Jeremiah 17 Verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. You didn't know you had a heart disease. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, in the light of our verse, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, is the way to death. It's really, really important that we know the right way to go in. And to know the right way to go in, I can't depend on my heart, because the Bible says it's deceitful. Do you see where we're going? And so, if I've got a sin-tainted heart and a sin sorry, if I've got a sick heart and a sin-tainted imagination, then what's the result? I've got deceived thinking. And if I've got deceived thinking, then I've got wrong actions and wrong consequences. You get the logic? And so, this verse also speaks of movement. It speaks of a movement from now to later. There is a way now which seems right to a man, but later... It ends in the way to death. There's movement. Do you see that? We're all on a journey. We are sojourners. The Bible teaches us that. We are just people living in tents on this earth. We're on a journey through this life into eternity. Every single one of us, whether you believe in God or not, you're on a journey through this life. None of you is going to live forever now, but you will live forever. You're on a journey. And the now affects the later. And what I think now determines my actions tomorrow, which results in consequences later, possibly into eternity. Do you see the journey? There's a further thing here. Every person thinks their way is right. Come on, own up. Why are you going to sit here saying, my way is not right? I mean, what? no one does that. We all think, my way is right. Because it feels and seems right to me. And you too may have strong opinions on how life should be lived and how things should be done. And I'm sure you do. 
And your thoughts seem so right because they come from your upbringing, from maybe a good teacher you had at school, or friends, maybe a specific religion that's had an influence on your life, or maybe habits you've cultivated, maybe your specific culture influences your thinking. Wider society, yes, even online opinions, Dr. Google, Mrs. YouTube, and, of course, personal experience in life. That all goes to shape what your opinion is on how life should be lived. But the problem is, you're so confident, and you and I are so confident, that our opinion is good and right, that we've got this enormous bias to justify ourselves and to defend the way we think. But the question is, am I thinking right? Am I defending something which is right? You see, Jesus confronted the Pharisees continually. And you can, there's many of these instances. I think there were 73 uh, ones that I saw just as I looked it up on Mr. Google. But um, in Luke chapter 20 specifically, Jesus confronts the Pharisees. And he warns his disciples not to be like the Pharisees, not to think like them, not to act like them. Why? Because they love to wear long robes. They love to be seen in public places playing praying long prayers so everyone notices. And that was just evidence of thinking that was wrong. You see, the attitude towards Jesus Christ and God wasn't right. And so they had this proud attitude in themselves. Their thinking was wrong, resulting in wrong actions and consequences. And so Jesus warns his disciples. So that's self-delusion. There's a second aspect to this verse. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And it's that delusion is subtle. Delusion is never up front. Delusion never advertises itself. It doesn't fly flags. It's subtle. It's a way that seems right to a man. He hasn't thought much about it, but it seems right. It looks like what's right. It's an imitation of what's right. Any of you have bought any cheap imitation goods? Is that cheap imitation $5 Rolex, does it do the same function as a Rolex? Yes, it does. But is it the same quality? Is it genuine? No. Otherwise, you've got a real bargain. So, delusion is subtle. In our terms today, it's called relativism. Everything is relative. Your truth is your truth. You've probably heard this. My truth is my truth. Your truth doesn't have to be my truth. Relativism. Where does this come out? Well, we see that quite much now in the current debate around legislation, don't we? We've got legalization of marijuana that's on the table, euthanasia. Um, and what's the catchphrase in all these things? It's this one. Society will have to decide what you accept as truth. No? That's why they keep on doing polls. So politicians know which way to decide. That's how we decide truth. And then we get legislation for, forcing us to do wrong things in many cases. Do you see where wrong thinking gets us? But in contrast, the Bible says that there is absolute unchanging truth. There is absolute truth. 
And there is something like untruth or non-truth, if I can start a new phrase. There is something like non-truth. It's a reality. Because there's only one criterion for truth and wisdom, and that is the truth and life principles God, the all-knowing, omniscient one, has given us in His Word. He says, these truths come from me, the all-knowing God, and I say they are true. Believe it. But the problem is most people are too in love with their own opinions to change. Even if the Bible condemns their thoughts to be sinful and self-destructive. And don't point the finger at someone else now. We all do it. The Bible says this, but I say this. And the consequences, says Scripture, the end is the way to death because there seems to be a right way in it. You see, what do people say? People say this, and uh, let's see um, where you fall now in, this, in these three categories. People say this. I'll put a little diagram here for you. Next one up, please. There we go. People say this. I can live any way I like as long as I'm a good person. Yep. I don't need religion. I don't need God in my life. That's my truth. But is that truth or untruth? You see, God says, yes, you're free to live any way you like, as long as you realize that you also have to live with the consequences of your thinking. And so whether you're a good Kiwi, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a fundamentalist of any kind, no matter what it is, you are a spiritual being with a soul. If you are breathing in and out, you are alive, which means you have a soul. And your soul will be evaluated and is being evaluated by God. Against what is true. Whether you believe it's true or not, God is evaluating your soul against His truth. And what does He say about your soul? He says that your sin, your sinful condition before Him will separate you and does separate you from Him. Do you see there? And that's not your fault necessarily because Adam sinned first and that's many years ago. But the results of that is that all mankind are in a sinful condition before sin. And whether you're a good Kiwi or not doesn't change the fact that you are a sinful being before the Lord. He says so. Because of what Adam did. Blame Adam. Sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. And that's a very inclusive word. All. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How short? Completely short. There's a big gap there. And no one can breach that gap. That's a human. What do other people say? There's a second picture for you. She says, this is how we try and bridge the gap. They say, okay, I accept there is a God. But there are many ways to God. And many ways to, to live a good life before Him. And God will weigh up the good against the bad. And if there's more good, then He'll save me. If there's more bad, then He won't. And I'm in trouble. 
Well, where do you get that from? It's relative truth. It's untruth. It's the way that seems right. But it's not. You see, because God says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, this is what actually, no, Isaiah first, Isaiah 64, verse 6. Listen to what, the, what God says in His Word. Isaiah 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. There's that word all again. I'm sorry it's there. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. In the literal translation, like a filthy rag. Every single thing we do, do you see all those things I'm trying to do? Good works, I'm a religious person, or I'm just morality, I'm a, I'm a good person, good kiwi. All those things, says the Bible, are like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, takes us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Sorry, that's the bad news. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9 says this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. I hear the rustle of pages. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. You see all those things we try and do? Nothing reaches God. Why? Because otherwise God knows us. He knows. We'll say to Him, but Lord, it was me. I did it. I'm a good person. He says, no, nothing you've done can bring you in relationship with me. It's all of me. Or nothing. I can't be clearer. But praise the Lord, there is good news because God says this too. He says, there's only one way to live a life which God will accept. There's only one way to do so. And that's the third little picture to help you. You've got to have a relationship with God. How? Through Jesus Christ. That's the right way to live. Any other way is a way which seems right, but it's wrong. There's only one way. You've got to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to take over your life, to be Lord of your life, to take your sin right out of you, to take it away from you, and so you, to bring you into relationship with the eternal God, to bridge that gap which is there between man and God. It is only one way. And Jesus says, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's truth says what the right way is. And you need to believe it or not believe it today. And I pray that you would believe Him. Because otherwise you stay on the road which seems right, but which leads to everlasting There's a third element here in this verse, and it's this. And I'm speaking specifically to us as believers here now. Believers, Christians. There's this word compromise. You see, this verse has to do with us too. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And it's that little phrase of, God says, but I do. 
You see, our thinking can so quickly become distorted as believers. Society's attitudes come in on us every single day in so many ways. You just have to get up in the morning. If you turn on the news, society's influences. Turn on your cell phone, whichever comes first, society's influences. You drink your coffee, you wake up, you go, go to work, society's influences come in on you. This came out so clearly in Christians in this whole Christchurch episode. Because many Christians were thinking wrong. They were saying, well, the Muslims have the same God as us, just a different name. Wrong thinking. Or maybe your thinking's been distorted because other churches are doing it. You guys are wrong in the East Baptist. You're behind the times. Dinosaurs. You need to get with it. What do other churches do? Well, many churches, praise the Lord, preach a solid gospel of redemption. But unfortunately, there are many who preach a Jesus other than the Jesus of Scripture. One who is a false, plastic, manufactured Jesus. Who doesn't line up with the way he's been described in God's Word. Or maybe you've been influenced because the other churches, they've got these new spiritual fads going. The latest one I think that's around is contemplative or centered praying. Anyone heard of this? And when I say centered, it's not centered as in smell. It's centered as in me. And so what they say is, if you want to have a good experience of prayer before the Lord, then push all other thoughts out of your mind. Think of an aspect of God and say that over and over to yourself. And it may even take 10 minutes or so, but repeat that, that phrase to yourself. And then God will speak to you in that moment. I know where that comes from. Mysticism. And it's been around since before the time of Paul. Just got a new name. Mysticism. Mysticism says push everything else out of your mind. Empty your mind. And concentrate on your feelings. And then you will be whole. What does scripture say? Fill your minds with the things of Christ. Don't empty your mind. In our schools and in businesses, a new money spin around. It's called mindfulness. It's also based on this. You might have seen this already. You might even be doing it at your schools. Where they teach kids, hey, sit for a few minutes and just quieten yourself. Center yourself. Chill out for a little bit there. It's mainly so that the teacher can get their notes and things together. But No. They quieten kids down. They call it mindfulness. Businesses are making so much money out of this. Going to corporates with this thing saying, Hey, run your, your staff on a session of mindfulness, man. You get so, such better results. Eastern mysticism just got another name. Think clearly, Christian. Fill your minds with the things of Christ. There is a way which seems right, but it's wrong. Maybe your thinking's been distorted by your own desires to justify what you're doing. King Saul suffered from this in Israel. You see, King Saul had a fantastic idea, and it seemed to be right. Because in, in one battle where they conquered a nation, they had all these animals. And so he said to his men, Listen, instead of slaughtering and wasting all these good animals... Let's allow the people to bring them and sacrifice them to God. Isn't that a good idea? 
It's a good idea. Except God had already said prior to this, Saul, I want you to destroy every single living thing, including the animals. And so what was Paul, Saul doing? He was saying, God says, but I say. You see? Distorted thinking. Today, we've got Christian liberty. Now, Christian liberty, that's a whole sermon on its own. So under the name of Christian liberty, I can feel free to do various things, which in themselves are not wrong, but is it the best? And I could go off on two examples. Maybe I should just take one. Lotto. Hey, did I say Lotto's wrong? Anyone heard me say Lotto is wrong? I have now, but... No. Christian liberty. But there are principles which should govern the way you think about Lotto. For instance, there are verses in Scripture which say we should always be doing good to others. Alright? We honour God in our lives and we do good to others. Now, when I participate in the whole system of Lotto, yes, they build sports fields and look after teams and do all kinds of stuff in the community, but how many people are caught up into this whole gambling thing? How many people lose their livelihoods and families because of gambling and then we participate as believers. You see, there are principles at play even under Christian liberty. I'm not going to digress any further there. And then there's living on the moral edge of what's right and wrong. You know, it's so human. I know from school age... You try and see how close you can get to breaking that rule without breaking it. Come on. That's called compromise. And that's why we have so many going into unequal relationships. Christians marrying non-Christians. Christians going out with non-Christians, for example. And there are many more examples of that. You see, here's a test for you. So test your own life now. Here it is. Is the life you're leading or the path you're following, is it, is it bringing you closer to Jesus? Is it deepening your relationship with Jesus and the way of righteousness? Is it making you long for Him more every day? Or is it drawing you away and making you find all kinds of creative excuses to justify your choice of path or your friends or your career or your marriage partner or the activity that you're in? Is it bringing you closer to Jesus Christ? Or is it constantly a battle which is drawing you away? That should give it away to you. There's a test. You're living on the moral edge. You've been drawn into the way that is nearly right. And nearly right is wrong. There is a way that seems right but leads to death. Maybe your thinking has been distorted by just a plain misunderstanding of Scripture. Maybe you're guilty of sloppy theology, using verses in isolation, and it says all kinds of things. Or maybe your thinking has been deluded by willfulness, deliberate disobedience. I know what God says, but I choose to do things my way. David did that with Bathsheba. He knew what was right but he did wrong. Alright. So, your thinking could be distorted. You see, 
Proverbs says to us, a wise person learns to not fully trust their own thinking, but to always be seeking God's truth on every single matter. And knowing the Bible doesn't tell you how to change the wheel on a car. I know. But it says in everything that you do, do it to the glory of God. So when you do have a breakdown, YouTube it and then do it properly to the glory of God. Don't fully trust, but look to the truth from God's Word. You see, you and I need an outside of ourselves opinion that is perfectly right to correct our thinking. And God's Word is perfectly true. And then the second thing we need to do is we need to confess before the Lord, yes Lord, I am proud, yes I've got my own ideas, but I confess Lord, that I'm ignorant when compared to your Word. Lord, make me wise from your word. And then pray, Lord, search my heart and my thoughts. Show me the wicked way in me and point me to the way of salvation. Why is this important? Because there is a way that seems right, but it leads to death. It leads to destruction. And I am speaking to believers now too. It does lead to destruction. You see, there is a way that we think is right. But because of self-deceit, which is blinding us, it leads us to destruction. It leads us to hurt in our lives. That is not necessary if we would only listen. And the problem with self-deceit is that we can't detect we've lied to ourselves. That's how good deceit is. Otherwise it wouldn't be called deceit. And I've said this so many times from this pulpit, deceit is self-anesthetizing. Sin anesthetizes you to its presence in your life. You don't know it's there. Others might start seeing it, but you are the last one to know. Why? Because we love our own thoughts. And that's the very nature of sin, you see. And so no one else can give me any reason to persuade me because their ideas are inferior to mine. Proverbs has told us this many times. You can't tell... an a man who's not wise anything because he's not going to listen to it. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 2 says it like this. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. No one wants to listen. I'm not going to listen. I'm self-anethetized to myself. You see, Jesus warned his disciples. He said to them, Matthew chapter 7, he said there are many who Try and enter the kingdom through the wide gate, uh, through the wide, on the broad way and the wide gate. And that road is easy and it's very inclusive, but it leads to destruction. And what he's calling you and I to as believers is the hard road. He's calling us to come into the kingdom through the straight or the narrow gate and on the narrow way, which is hard. And it's very exclusive. We're not talking people. We're talking about exclusive as in what do I allow into my life. It's exclusive. And so I have to constantly be asking myself, is my thinking God glorifying? And will, will that result in actions which glorify God? In everything I do. Is what I'm doing totally in line with, with God's word? Or am I compromising to suit myself or to justify my actions? 
Is what I'm doing helpful and does it build others up? Or are my actions negatively affecting other people? And my plea this morning with you is this. Where are the great men and women of God who will accept no other way but what is clearly laid out in Scripture? I speak to my own life. Where are the great men and women of God who listen closely for the correction from the Holy Spirit through His Word and do not dull their consciences when the Spirit says to you and I, this is the way, walk in it. What do we do with this? Very shortly, two things. Firstly, make sure you're on the right way to God. There is still time. You're still breathing. The Lord hasn't come. Make sure you're on the way which is right, not the way which seems right. Make sure you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, go back to those first diagrams I showed you. Come and see me. I will explain it to you. I've got it photocopied. We can talk through these things. But make sure you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing you do can ever bring you closer to God. Nothing. You will stay on the road which seems right. And that leads to destruction. And then to you and I as believers, it's this. Walk the right way of obedience to Jesus Christ. Walk in the right way of obedience to Jesus Christ. In other words, accept responsibility for your own thoughts. Romans chapter 12 verse 21 says, Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. If you want to do a walk which is right, then think right. Take captive every single thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And that's not going to be easy. Because as soon as that thought pops into your head, you've got to take it captive and put it under subjection to Jesus Christ. And to us, that's an impossible task, right? But we're not alone. He's given me His Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in me and He can help me. Every time that thought comes in, the Spirit makes it attentive to me and He helps me to make it subjective to Jesus Christ. And then I won't walk a walk which is wrong before the Lord. Secondly, allow God to transform you by the renewing of your mind, says Romans 12 verse 2. Allow God to transform you, to change you completely and to give you a new way of thinking. Choose to focus your thoughts on the right things, that which is true, noble, right, pure, lovely and admirable, says Philippians 4, 8. Fill your mind with those things. And refuse to compromise with evil. Refuse to compromise with evil. But rather count the cost of following Jesus Christ and ruthlessly cut away anything or any action which does not bring glory to God without excuse. Cut it away. It will drag you down otherwise. Be ruthless. Three verses. Just meditate on these. First one. Oh, I might not have put this one up. Just listen to this one. Proverbs 14, verse 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, his consequences, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. You want good fruit? 
then be filled with good ways. Which starts with good thoughts. Which starts with a heart which is made right by God who has taken that deceitful heart away. Secondly, Proverbs 16.20. I think I've got this one for you. There we go. Whoever gives thought to the word, there's the thinking, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good how to live and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. There's the consequence. So check your thinking. You see, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. But, thank the Lord for Jeremiah chapter 6, your last verse for the day. Here it is. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. There's a search for the truth. Where the good way is. And walk in it. And find rest for your souls. I'll repeat that verse. It's a beautiful verse. Thus says the Lord. Stand by the road and look. And ask for the ancient paths. Where the good way is. And then walk in it. And find rest for your souls. That's the right way. Come away from the way which seems right. Lord help us in this. Let's pray. Lord, you've put your word before us and we plead with you today. Help us to think aright so that we will act right before you. Lord, so quickly, our thinking can become distorted. Before we know it, our walk is disobedient. You've said, you've given us the helper your Spirit who is in us. And Lord, your Spirit pricks our consciences and through the Word you teach us what is right. Help us to hold fast to that truth so that we will not be deluded and walk in a way which seems right but which ends in death. And Lord, I pray for any here that still, who are still walking on the way which to them seems right. Lord, I plead that you would, through your Spirit, make them see that there is a way which is right. But it means coming and giving themselves to Jesus Christ, allowing Jesus to take their sinful state away from them and to give them new hearts, which you give a new soul, which knows you. Lord, help them in that. And may they not listen to the lie that there is still time because there might not be. Do your work among us, we pray, so that when we go from this place, we can be a bright shining light for Jesus Christ and point others to the way which is right in your Son. And through your Son, we pray this. Amen.